Good evening, Harvest. So good to be back with you. Um, before we get started tonight, on behalf of Ruth and the kids and, and myself, I just want to say thank you so much for all the, the love and support that you've shown our family over this past year as we've been studying in California. Uh, just knowing that there are people praying and, and the cards, cards and letters that you guys have sent have, have been such a blessing. So uh, with that being said, let's get into it. If you would turn with me in your Bibles, please, to John chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. John 15, verses 1 through 11. Please join me. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Please join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together this evening in your house to praise and worship you. Help us to better understand you and, and your word by your spirit that we, may be, that we may better know what it is to be your disciples. Help us to abide in Christ, your true vine, that we might bear fruit that glorifies you, doing what you created us to do. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do people think about today when, when they hear the word disciple? Maybe a fanatic? Maybe one that follows some moral example? Maybe one who forsakes the rest of the world in order to focus on some form of teaching? In his article, uh, Knowing God, Discipleship, Tim Challey says, To be a disciple means to be a learner and a follower. As people learn the gospel and follow Christ, they become disciples of Jesus. This is the calling of the church, to go and make disciples of all nations. He goes on to say, discipleship is not one of the things that the church does, it's what the church does. In tonight's passage, we're going to be looking at Christ's vision of discipleship. To Jesus, a disciple is one who is so rooted in him as the true vine that is one who abides in him, in his word, and in his love, that he or she bears fruit to the glory of the Father and to their own joy. To do this, we're going to be looking through the lens of the cast of the metaphor. That is, the Father as the vine dresser, Jesus as the true vine, and we, the church, as the branches. This section of the Gospel of John is, is part of what's known as Jesus' farewell discourse. In it, Jesus is telling his disciples how to carry on once he's gone. 
The disciples are left with questions of, of, of how they're going to keep going with their ministry without their Lord by their side. And, and, and this is the context of the passage on the vine and the branches. So let's get started with taking a look at the Father as the vine dresser. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, then it may bear more fruit. In our passage, we are smacked in the face with the unavoidable reality that one day we will stand before a righteous God as sinners in wait of ultimate judgment. As we read here in verses 1 and 2, we can glean a bit of the character of the Father. This, this holy judge is presented to us here as a capable vine dresser. This metaphor can be lost on us a bit today, but in the agrarian society of ancient Israel, it would have been a powerful and well-known word picture. The vine dresser was responsible for the health of the vine and the quality of the fruit that it produced. He masterfully tends the true vine, that is Christ, so that it may bear even more fruit. And how does the vine dresser go about his work? The tool of his trade is the knife. With this knife, he cuts off the branches that do not bear fruit, allowing the life-giving nourishment of the vine to go to the branches that are bearing fruit. But, but it doesn't stop here. To, to, to these fruit-bearing branches, he also lovingly prunes them in order that they might be even more fruitful. The fact of the matter is that regardless of whether the branch is good or bad, the vine dresser will inflict some kind of painful and cutting act that must be endured for the betterment of the vine. The, the God that Jesus is speaking of here in verse 10 is the same righteous God that prunes the good branches and cuts off the bad ones so that they might be thrown into the fire and burned. Now, now, now do you feel the weight of that? I think so often, especially in the context of the American church, uh, we, t we tend to focus on, on the loving God of the Bible, but, but do we really spend time on the holiness of God? Do we think about him with the same awe and wonder and fear that we see elsewhere in the Bible? Do you remember the, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That's from Isaiah 6. He knew that he was a sinner, and he knew that he was toast before this holy God. How laissez-faire are we when we approach this magnificent king in our daily lives? This is the sovereign God of the universe that is, that is tending this vine according to his good plan. And we need to be made painfully aware of this truth. Judgment is coming to those who, who don't abide in the true vine, uh, and they will be cut off, and they will wither, they will be gathered They'll be thrown into the fire and they will be burned. This is the reality that awaits those sinners outside of the true vine, outside of Christ. This passage stands as a sobering reminder for, for us in the sense that these branches being cut off, withered, gathered together, thrown into the fire and burned are already a part of the true vine. That is, they are part of the visible church is also sobering in the sense that, that we never arrive this side of glory. And, and even if we do bear fruit, we need continual pruning in order to bear more fruit to the glory of God. Who is it that wants to be pruned anyways? Those who want to be pruned are those who know that the pruning is good. Those who know that it glorifies God and, and those who want to have joy, as we read in verse 11, where it says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, 
and that your joy may be full. Thankfully, this, this vine dresser is also the one who grafts new branches into the true vine, that is, in, into Christ, the only source of life, where they get what's necessary to bear fruit and fulfill their purpose, glorifying God and experiencing a joy that is full. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Here is the amazing hope we have in Jesus, the true vine. This image of the vine is, is one that is given throughout the Old Testament to symbolize Israel. Turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah 5. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. Isaiah 5, verses 1 through 7. It says, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel." And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. The vine of old Israel is rotten, and there is nothing living there to be grafted into. The world had had, had no saving hope or help. Israel failed in their mission to be a vine to the nations. But here we see Jesus taking on his role as the true vine. Israel was to be God's conduit to the nations. Through his chosen people, God's law was to go forth, and the nations were meant to come to salvation in him. But as revealed in the Old Testament, this was not the case. Israel, rather than being the cultivated vine, uh, nourishing the nations and producing good fruit, becomes wild and unruly, unruly. It became bad fruit like the very wild grapes of the nations. It was intended to go out and save. Praise God that now there is an objective, an objective something, better yet, a someone that we can be grafted into in order to, to, to glorify God the Father and to experience the joy for which we were created. As verse 3 of our passage today explains, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Jesus, the incarnate word, provides a life-giving nourishment the first disciples needed to start them off clean and fruitful. He is what makes the fruit possible. D.A. Carson says, The cleansing power of the word Jesus has spoken to his disciples then is equivalent to the life of the vine pulsating through the branches. Jesus' word is not a sign magical power. What it is meant, rather, is that Jesus' teaching in its entirety, including what he is and what he does, has already taken hold in the life of these followers. Life is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. In him alone does the Christian find what is needed to bear fruit, and, he, and, and this is made possible only through the process of abiding in him. In verses 4 and 5, we see how the disciple bears fruit. Jesus commands the Christian to abide in him, 
the true vine, that he or she may gain access to the riches of himself and in so doing, gain a right relationship with the Father when he says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is the power by which all of this is done. But what, but what does it mean to abide? This, this, isn't typic, this isn't a typical word that we use today, but it's clearly important. After all, John uses some form of it ten times in these eleven verses. The word here means to remain, to continue to stay in Christ. J.C. Ryle in his commentary on John puts it this way, to abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of constant, close communion with him, to always be leaning on him, resting on him, pouring out our hearts to him, and using him as our fountain of life and strength, as our chief companion and best friend. To have his words abiding in us is to keep his sayings and precepts continually before our memories and minds, and to make them the guide of our actions and the rule of our daily conduct and behavior. Are you spending time in his word? Are you regularly attending worship and receiving the ordinary means of grace? Are you regularly regularly reaching out to him in prayer as he invites us later in verse 7 when he calls us once more to ask uh, to, when he calls us once more to abide in him and commands us to ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This this isn't just a privilege. This is an imperative to the glory of God and the joy of man. We actually get the opportunity to do these things. This this asking isn't a name and claim it kind of thing, but rather a being so in tune with God and and in his word that you desire the things that he desires and, and find yourself wanting and resting in his promises. These largely passive acts of abiding and asking, passive in the sense that they are relying on Christ rather than our own actions or will, are what leads to bearing fruit. In inundating ourselves with the truth of God's word and and regularly engaging with the means of grace, that is, the preaching of the word, the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper and prayer, the the believer will start to exhibit Christ-likeness. Verse 8 brings us to the goal of what is meant to be a disciple. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The aim of all this is, is to bring glory to the Father. Christ's vision of discipleship is bearing fruit to the glory of God and to the enjoyment of man. This is what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Boys and girls, now, uh, does this remind you of your catechism lessons? It should. Westminster Shorter Catechism question and answer number one asks, what is the chief end of man? The answer is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. How different is this notion of our chief end, that, that, that thing for which we are made, from, from what we see today? If, if you were to ask a friend what they thought the world's chief end was, what do you think their answer would be? Consumerism? Convenience? Success? Maybe comfort? The text says that our aim should be bearing fruit so that the Father may be glorified, and that in so doing, our joy would be complete. Christ goes on to say, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Christian, 
Are you abiding in the love of Christ today? Are you experiencing that that same love that the Father has shown to the Son? Are Christ's commandments even on your radar? The agricultural metaphor breaks down a little bit here. Love love has nothing to do with the vine. So, so, So what is this love we are reading about? Christ is saying that if we remain in him and keep his commandments, we will abide in his love. And this is no ordinary love. This love is the perfect, full, never-changing, always-on, intra-Trinitarian love shared between the Father and the Son. Like, what could possibly be greater than that? So, so we have the Father as the vine dresser, the Son as the life-giving true vine, and, and now we, the church, get to be the branches. We, as disciples of Christ, are designed to bear fruit to the glory of God and to our own enjoyment. There is also significance to the fact that, that it is branches plural. When you look at, at the Greek, all of the U's are actually y'alls. So, so we, are, we are called to engage in this fruit bearing uh, corporately to the glory of God and our joy. R.C. Sproul in his commentary on this passage says it this way, I, I remember the story of a man who joined a church but never attended worship services. However, he came to the church picnic and the minister spoke to him. Uh, he said, I haven't, I haven't seen you in church lately. The fellow said, that's true. I, I've, I've learned that I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I can commune with God in my own way. I don't need to be a part of the worshiping community on Sunday morning. The pastor said, I understand what you're saying. Then he casually walked over to the nearby charcoal grill where the hamburgers were sizzling, and, and, and using tongs, he moved one of the white hot coals over to the, to the side of the grill. He continued to chat with this wayward parishioner for a few minutes, then said, look, look at this coal. A few minutes ago, this coal was radiant in its heat and warmth and was useful for grilling these burgers, but, but what has happened since I removed it from the fire and set it apart by itself? It has grown cool and has become worthless for the task that it was created to do. Together, only in the true vine that is Christ, can we accomplish what we were made to do. And though we, we don't have the time to, to, to get there tonight necessarily, later on, in the passage, in the chapter, in, in verse 16, we see that, as in the Great Commission, that, that this is also to the ends of producing abiding fruit, the, the abiding fruit of new converts. You know, it's talking about evangelism. Now, now, in saying this, I think that there can be a danger of legalism with, with how much fruit do I need to, how much fruit do I need in order to be good? Uh, please, please, please don't get bogged down with this notion. When, when, when asking the question, how much fruit should there be? The answer is some. The answer is some. Christ invites us uh, to abide in him and, and his word and his love. He is the one who accomplishes our justification, that, that is our declaration of righteousness before the Father. And we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This, this passage is teaching us that, that the Christian can have assurance in their salvation through seeing the fruit or evidences brought about by their union with Christ. We, we can see that faith in him actually means something. That, that our faith is, is more than just intellectual assent. A real faith changes you. Though the list of the fruits of the spirits in Galatians 5 aren't necessarily exhaustive, they, they do point to some evidences of our union with Christ. They are listed as, as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They point us to the evidences of being grafted, grafted into, the vine, into the true vine. And, and I, I think we need to seriously reflect on, on our lives and, and ask ourselves the tough question, do, do I see any of these evidences in my life? 
As we read earlier, the eternal consequences and implication of that question are simply staggering. So, to wrap things up, we, we, just, we need to stop and wonder, first of all, what, what God has actually done for us in Jesus Christ. He, he has provided the true vine by which we find our life and purpose. We need to ask ourselves if, if we are actually in that true vine. If you are in the vine, are, are, are you producing fruit? We have to ask the tough question of, am I abiding, remaining, continuing in Christ? Or is my focus in the wrong place? Are you pushing through life, picking, up, p- picking yourself up by your own bootstraps the whole way? Are you, are you trying to control the kids at home uh, by your own strength? Are, are, are you working hard to kick that besetting sin, cold turkey, but, but doing it by yourself? Are, are you checking all the right boxes and, and from the outside, it looks like you're doing all the right things, but, but you know you're trying to do it all on your own power. You simply can't find the answers you're looking for here. Christ does not mince words when he says in verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. So, so what does this look like? Maybe, maybe this looks like setting a regular time each day for the word and prayer. Are you regularly attending church and taking part in the ordinary means of grace? Maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're not a believer and you need to devote your life to Christ. If this is the case, I'd like to invite you to speak with, some, with one of the elders after the service. Just ask someone around here to point you in the right direction. We'd, we'd love to help you out. We'd love to talk to you. Whatever the case may be, know that a better way exists. Abide in Christ the true vine and experience the life and joy made available to you in Him. In Him you will glorify the Father and do what you were created to do. Again, Jesus, at the end of our passage here tonight, in verse 11, uh, says, says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let God grant it. Amen. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for Christ and the life we gain through him. Help us to abide in him this coming week, that, that, that we might bear fruit to your glory. Help us to know the joy of doing what you created us to do as, as, as we experience your love. Thank you for the care you show us. Help us to glorify and enjoy you all of our days. Please be with our leaders. Help them to abide in the true vine that, that Christ is as they lead. Help them to abide in your word and, and in your love. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand and join me, if you would, by uh, turning to number 402, Abide With Me. Join me in singing number 402, Abide With Me.